This is Cup Go for May 22nd, 2023, sponsored by Koyeb, a developer-friendly serverless platform to deploy apps globally. Thanks to our partners at Koyeb for sponsoring this episode. Stick around to the ad break to hear more about Koyeb. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm your co-host, Shai Nechmad. And I'm your co-host, Jonathan Hall. What's up, Jonathan? I'm cold. Are you? No, it's super hot here. I think there's a code freeze coming up. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice one. Um, what is a code freeze? Yeah, so I think Wednesday is the planned freeze, although I, it, it's not always solid in the Go community. But uh, the, the plan is to freeze the Go code base in uh, on Wednesday for the 121 release, which means no new features get added, only bug fixes and anything that's already been already in progress uh, so that we can have our exciting Go 1.21 release Probably in August, usually. Well, it means you have two days to, to shove your code in. Don't miss out. That's right. Speaking of shoving code in, have you been involved in anything like that recently? So, yeah, uh, there was a proposal. Uh, we're going to get to other proposals soon. But one proposal I found interesting was reverse. Now that we have generics and everything is uh, great, uh, I saw that there was a proposal for uh, reversing slices. So first of all, thanks, generics. It's like, thanks, Obama. Starting to see the, the value. The proposal was super well written by uh, Ellen Donovan. Very simple. Just add a dot .reverse function that if you have a slices with elements, reverses them. And I reviewed it. Mm-hmm. I reviewed the code. I, I added some tests. My test cases were accepted. And I'm really, I'm really jazzed about it. I'm, I'm now also an official Go contributor. Awesome. And this particular proposal we were going to discuss today as likely accept because that's the official status on the weekly minutes. However, it's already been closed and merged in large part because of this uh, forthcoming code freeze. So I've seen a few of those happen uh, where they're trying to get some new exciting features in before the freeze happens. Yeah, if you actually go to the Garrett page, you can see Russ wrote, the proposal is only likely accept, but since the freeze is next Wednesday and we anticipate getting to accept next Wednesday as well, it's okay to submit the, the change early so it's not part of the flood. Mm-hmm. So uh, it got added, and I'm, I'm really happy about it. Contributed. Yeah, that's pretty, exci- yep. pretty, pretty exciting. All right. Sorry to jump ahead there. I was just so excited about that that I, I pulled that out of the yeah. backlog a little early. Um, but before we really dive into today's news, we kind of need to talk about something we talked about last week, right? Yeah. So last week we discussed uh, a proposal for Go Cash Prog. What is the proposal? What is Go Cash Prog? Yeah, you might recall that the idea is the ability to specify a, a program to do Go caching for you rather than simply relying on the on disk cache during the Go build process. That way you could use an S3-backed Go cache, for example, or, as the proposal specifically calls out, using GitHub Actions uh, or, or other CI pipelines to do your caching for you so that you can have a cache that lives longer than your Docker instance or your, your runner instance so that you can take advantage over, over days or weeks. Uh, which sounds great, but my uh, you know, bug sensors immediately went off, my spidey sense. Uh, I just heard the word cache, right? And we even joked about it the last episode. Uh, cache equals mm-hmm. bugs. Obviously, it's not going to work. Uh, it's going to have a ton of bugs. Uh, and I very confidently said, oh, this is going to have a ton of bugs, but I'll be happy, I'll be happy to complain about it. And this was, I, I guess it was a, a bit of a flame-baity take. In Kappa Go, our Slack community in the Gopher Slack, 
Josh Snyder said that he thinks we overstated the dangers of using an external Go cache. And after a bit of, you know, back and forth, he explained why. I was afraid that computing the same build ID or, you know, the same hash would be very difficult because of, I don't know, uh, embedded files, like how you can use Go Embed, right? Or just different machines have different environments. It's not going to come out the same. But Josh pointed out to how Go's toolchain really invested in precise repeatability, like identical intermediate artifacts and everything, environment variables, flags, versions, embedded files, etc., uh, is very explicit and built into the cache key. And he actually shared the code, which is one of the great things about Go being an open source language. You can just take go take a look. Mm-hmm. And the key point is that caching may not be perfect, but this proposal won't make it worse. It won't introduce any bugs that don't already exist. Because right. already right now, you can have different versions, different embedded files, different clones, different uh, flags, different Go Arc and Go OS and whatever on, on the same machine. And it just sort of changes the storage layer. Uh, so first of all, thanks a lot, Josh, mm-hmm. for for this uh, insight. It was super interesting. And I went into the code and learned a lot. So thanks. And I think this is just awesome. Good abstractions mean that the solutions are extendable, right? So thanks, Josh. And you jumped a- ahead a bit because you were very excited about my proposal. I was which so is not excited. even my so proposal, sorry. right? I just <laughs> dumped a bunch of code reviews just standing from the sidelines. But let's go back into proposals. So what other proposals uh, did we see this week that we found interesting? There were actually a few and a few that are still new and we're waiting to see what happens with them. One about uh, templating and one about min-max. But one that we found interesting was string.first. So what what is this proposal? So I think I like this proposal because it's really simple to understand. Uh, The proposal is just to add a function to the strings package and an equivalent one to the bytes package since those two packages try to maintain parity. Uh, but it's the, the proposal is a, a function called first that takes a variadic argument, so a list of strings, and it just returns the first one. Oh, I thought one. it takes a YouTube video and comments first. Or, or, or slash dot. Is that still a thing? Is that still you exist? may have uh, betrayed your age to the listeners of it here. John. <laughs> takes a punch um, card, right? I'm just kidding. Right, right. Yeah. So the, the, the reason I, I thought it was worth bringing up today is because I think it's a really easy... Uh, proposal to wrap your head around, especially if you're new to Go, this would be a great uh, introduction to the proposal process. It's so simple, yet there's still a ton of nuance around it. Uh, because the question becomes, okay, so we add this to strings, that seems pretty straightforward. What would the bytes version look like? Um, and then there's the question of, well, why don't we have a generic version that works with integers or with floats or with whatever struct you might have? And there are some arguments for that, but there's some arguments against that. So it, it's a good... I would encourage anybody who's interested in understanding the Go proposal process and why it might take longer than you expect for certain features to make it to Go, just read through this. It's not that long. There's about 27 comments right now, but most of them are fairly short, you know, a single sentence. can really give you some insight into the thought that goes into the process of making a new feature in the center library. Yeah, and I think one of the most important comments within this uh, proposal is from... uh, Carl Johnson, who gave the original proposal from Baltimore, where he went and dug through uh, source graph to find versions of this function in the wild. And he found usages. Like The first mm-hmm. question you ask when you, something should be introduced into the stand library is, do people actually need it? Because we want to keep the stand library very lean and mean, right? 
Uh, and he went and found mm-hmm. uh, versions in Kubernetes, kubectl, uh, Istio, uh, like with 15 usages, Grafana, CWFS, just a whole bunch of projects uh, that already implemented it for themselves. And it also helps to see where you might want to use strings.first. Just shows you some real-world examples. For example, you want to show uh, a user's name on the site, right? Then you need to return their name. But you have their full name, their first name, their login name, and their email. And some of these, you know, people might have not filled out. So if you use strings.first, you can just pass a slice of all of these. The empty ones are going to get filtered down until you get to the first filled one. And you can do it by order. So it's, you know, you want to show the full name before you want to show the email. Uh, this is one use case, in, for example, in Grafana. Uh, so it's, it's really, really good to see this data when you're trying to introduce a proposal. This does it for the proposals this week. There are more, but these ones are ours. Let's look around the community a bit. Posts, releases, anything interesting you found? I found an interesting blog post uh, came out just this last week from uh, Chris Siebenman uh, about Go finalizers. Uh, if you're new to Go, you might not know what a finalizer is, and it's a very uncommon feature uh, in most Go programs. So just really briefly, you can set a finalizer on a type. Is that right? I, I've never used them. Do you set it on a type or on, an, on, a, on a variable? So it's I think you set it on a any variable, and right? any. Um, and when the garbage collector finds something with a finalizer, it runs the finalizer on the object. So you, you set it on the specific instance, not on the type, right? Yes. Okay, let me restate that. So uh, if you're not familiar with Go finalizers, and you likely aren't because they aren't used frequently, um, you, can, you can set a finalizer on an instance of an object in Go or of, of a variable. And when that variable is garbage collected, the finalizer runs. So it's a function that does some sort of cleanup for you. Uh, so this particular blog post is responding to another one about the cost Actually, the, the original post that's being responded to is called The Absurd Cost of Finalizers in Go. you got to love that uh, bait titles, right? Yes. <laughs> we had Last week we had, uh, this loop is never going to escape. And this time it's <laughs> the absurd cost of uh, finalizers in Go. You know, Ten horrible things the main function in Go does. Number seven is going to blow your brains out. <laughs> Less of these, please. And more of... <laughs> Just descriptive <laughs> titles. Anyway, so the original post is by Daniel Lemire. I hope I said that right. And uh, he talks about using uh, how finalizers are 10 times or so slower than, than not using finalizers. And this article by Chris is sort of rebutting that. Not, not saying it's technically wrong, but that it kind of shows a, a toy example that doesn't really uh, reflect real usage. And I think the key phrase from this post here, uh, it says that, the first reason for this increased overhead in Lemire's test case is perhaps some, somewhat surprising, which is that using a finalizer forces heap allocation, while Lemire's non-finalizer version does not. And he admits that that's true. However, he says, if you're using a finalizer, you're almost always using heap allocation anyway. So the bigger cost isn't from the finalizer per se, it's from the fact that you're allocating to the heap. Uh, and he goes on to more detail. It's not a long article. It's, it's probably a three or four minute read. Um, but it does a nice job of showing some of the subtleties that are easily forgotten when you just write simple benchmark tests. Uh, so I, I think it's a good read, especially if you use finalizers. But uh, if you're just interested in understanding some more Go internals, this is a good uh, blog post to read. 
One key sentence that I really liked is that the set finalizer function has a ton of documentation around it. Uh, and the lesson that Chris takes from that is using it correctly is tricky and correctly using anything with a finalizer attached is also tricky. Because usually you don't have to do this you know, manual playing around with garbage collection or whatever. Have you ever used the finalizer, Shai? Yes, once. And then it didn't super work and then someone else in the team fixed it. Okay. <laughs> um, I thought it was like C++ smart pointers and I just used it exactly like that. But it has some subtleties around it that it's not exactly like that because Go is a garbage collector language. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, probably better to design your system so you just don't have to use finalizers. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, last thing for today from around the community, uh, PayPal just open sourced JunoDB. Uh, which is Redis. They open source their... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to... You know, It's a really good article. Uh, you should uh, go read it on Medium. Uh, and I, I just want to warn you that if you don't have a Medium subscription and you can't pay for it, definitely don't go into the web archive project, the Wayback Machine, and look for this page which has the content for free. Definitely don't do that because that's not fair. Right, Jonathan? Right. And nobody tell the FCC about this podcast as well because they, they haven't <laughs> caught on to, to this medium yet. Anyways, um, so PayPal has their own implementation of, uh, you know, a very scalable, very secure, highly available uh, key value store. And they open sourced it, which is really cool. Like they, it's obviously a battle tested internal project within PayPal and open sourcing it. I think it's a... Is a great step to marking PayPal as a more of a an even a stronger engineering culture, right? Mm-hmm. When their engineers feel like they can contribute to open source and put their name on things, and the community gets back more value, uh, that works great in both ways. And also, we get this uh, open source DB, um, which is uh, good for us. If you need uh, the use cases are pretty similar to Redis. If you need caching. Um, uh, also, if you need item potency, uh, you can use JunoDB uh, as a short TTL, highly available store, just to make sure that you're not uh, processing uh, duplicates, uh, counters, latency bridging, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They also go with a, into a high-level overview of the architecture, uh, which is pretty cool. You have your own client app, and then you use a JunoDB library. Uh, and then you have a JunoDB proxy, which uh, hides behind it the sharded storage servers. So a pretty well-known uh, architecture if you have ever uh, sharded Redis before. Uh, but it's all built in. And currently, the client libraries uh, are very thin. And you have it in Java, Go, C++, Node, and Python. Uh, and they're going to open source the you know, the Go version is very soon. They go through the security uh, process of this uh, DB, through the performance benchmarks at scale. It's a really good uh, read. It does seem like a bit of an early project. Like it probably could use some more open source love before it would be easy to use in your projects. But, you know, it's battle tested in PayPal. So perhaps mm-hmm. worth considering as an, as an alternative. Um, and that wraps it up for the stuff we want to cover this week, right? I think it does. All right, so after the ad break, we're going to have a super interesting interview. Who are we interviewing this week, John? We will be interviewing Christoph Berger, who is the curator, uh, editor of the Golang Applied Weekly 
email newsletter, which I'm a member of, I subscribe to. I think you do too. It's got some great resources. We report some of them here on the show. Yeah, so stick around to hear what he has to say and also to hear a word from our new sponsor. Talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by Koyeb. Koyeb is a developer-friendly serverless platform to deploy apps globally. No ops, servers, or infrastructure management. You can run web apps, APIs, event-driven serverless functions, background workers, and even cron jobs. Shai, you've been using it, right? Yeah, I'm currently a Koyeb user and have been for about a week now. Um, I've deployed one of my clients' workloads to there, uh, and it actually was an absolute breeze. Before we agreed to uh, partner up with Koyeb for the show, did want to test it, and I just you know connected my Git repo, did a few configurations. I, I have a mono repo, so I had to like specify the subdirectory, uh, like two tries to get the the command correct, and it was up. And the backend was awesome. connected to my front end on Vercel and just worked really well. Uh, and it worked super fast. Like that's the main thing I found uh, lovely. Unlike you know, when I go to other cloud providers, I used to work in AWS. I used to work with GCP. I'm immediately out of my flow state. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not programming. I'm doing DevOps. Yeah. Uh, and with Koyab, it just felt like very simple UX, uh, super responsive. Doesn't get me out of my flow state. I just deployed it and went back to coding. Um, and I'm getting emails on like each deployment. Did it work? Didn't it work? Get a custom URL running up just in seconds. So overall, I had a really great experience. Uh, and if you need to deploy your own workloads to serverless on the cloud, try Koyeb. Awesome. Thanks, Koyeb, for sponsoring us. We appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it a lot. You should also check out the beautiful, beautiful people holding cups Yay. of our show. Yes, uh, our merch is finally in the hands of listeners. And still not in in our hands. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if your shipment arrived yet, but mine no. is actually in the shop. Like I, I'm going to go pick it up this afternoon. I'm super hyped. Nice. Maybe yeah. that's the shipment. Maybe it's a different shipment. I don't. I don't actually know. <laughs> but yeah, the pictures we have. We have people posting selfies already on our Slack channel. Uh, feel free to do so on social media if you're so inclined. Hashtag Cup of Go. Uh, I will be posting my own selfie. Hashtag Cup of Go on my social media accounts as soon as my cup arrives. The cups look super attractive to me. I love the two tone. Uh, you know, the inside is one color and the outside is another color. I, I love that. It looks really attractive. So I'm really excited to get mine soon. Yeah, we don't have a taste uh, verdict yet. If the coffee tastes better or worse, uh, but I will definitely I'll take it to some coffee shops around town and ask them. You know, how does it work with cold brew? How does it work? Oh, we're we're going to give it a test, right? Right. Uh, what else should we mention? Well, you might remember if you've listened last week that we were looking for an editor. Uh, we're excited to announce that we have found one. Uh, Filippo is editing this episode. If you're listening to it now, thank you, Filippo, for editing. Uh, and making us sound so much better than we ever have before. Yeah, I'm sure you're not pitching our voices right now or adding any funny side effects to make us sound silly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, everybody say hi, Filippo. Hi, Filippo. Thank you so much for editing this episode. And uh, finally, uh, we uh, last week talked about uh, the possibility of doing a live stream. So we uh, did a survey. Uh, what, what results did we get back from that, Shai? So most people don't have time for live streams, uh, which makes sense. Uh, so we're going to shelve that for now. Uh, Jonathan and I talked. We're going to do it at one point, but probably 
with someone else. Like uh, if we can record an episode with someone else from around the open source community, uh, then doing that with the live stream will make more sense than just uh, for our audience because you all like short episodes that you can hear on the go. Uh, but thanks for uh, telling us how you feel. Yes, thank you so much for participating. So if you do want to reach us, you can reach us at kapago.dev. That's also where our store is, store.kapago.dev. Uh, you can talk to us and share your beautiful selfies in the Gopher Slack. That's hashtag kapogo with hyphens, so kebab case. And you can email us, news at kapago.dev. That is news at kapago.dev. If you like the show, uh, please leave a review and rate it and share it and click on it and the heart and the bell and the notification and everything uh, on uh, whatever pleases the algorithm on uh, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thanks a lot. Uh, coming up, we have an interview with Christoph Berger, the brain and bronze behind Applied Go newsletter. See you there. So, Shai, I recently got a copy of the Applied Weekly. Uh, go, apl- Let me start that over. Don't again. mess it up this time. <laughs> so, Shai, I just got a copy of the Applied Go Weekly newsletter, and it has some really great articles in it. Have you seen this this newsletter? Of course, I follow it. Uh, I really like the recently it's gone into AI and stuff. I'm wondering who's writing it. Oh, wait. I don't know. We, we should find out because I mean, he, he shared one of my videos. And so, you know, he's got a, good a, a great guy. He's got a good taste. So, yes. <laughs> oh, hi, Christoph. Welcome hi, Joe, to the ben. show. Thanks for having me. Hey, what's up? Thanks for coming. So tell us a little bit, Christoph, about who you are. And then we'll talk about the newsletter. But first, tell us about who you are, what you do. Yeah, we'll start there. Okay. I'm Christoph. I work and live near Munich in Germany. And um, I'm working as a freelancer, as a tech writer. And I have a side business um, that consists of two Go courses, online Go courses that I, uh, one of them I built in 2016. And it's running till today. Um yeah, and also uh, I build a newsletter, as you mentioned before. Yeah, and uh, it's coming out weekly. I, recently, I I recognized that I missed uh, the the fourth year, the fifth year anniversary anniversary of the newsletter. It just wow, went, went it went along, went along, and thank you. Yeah, I think you want to know why I started this newsletter, right? Um, uh, yeah. I'm- Quite curious, yes. So, uh, the, the, one of the main drivers was, um, well, I was, I, I was trying to, to keep up with the news and go to find the, the news and then the new projects uh, and keep, keep up to date. And so I was, uh, scanning the forums like Reddit and, um, yeah, on other online sources. And I thought, well, if I do it for myself, why don't I? collect all those things I find and post them in the newsletter so I can yeah, help others uh, find the same things with less effort than me. So instead of, instead yeah. of, instead of scanning like Argolang every day, um, you only need to click open my newsletter and <laughs> read it one time a week on Sunday. So that's, that's how the awesome. newsletter got born and it's running yeah, since years <laughs> for every week uh, except for a few, yeah, um, holidays, holidays or, or something comes up in December, right? Yeah, I'm wondering about the name Applied Go. Sounds like uh, ah. the, the rest of the newsletters are theoretical Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
Now, uh, Applied Go, the name uh, is... I invented the name for my blog and, and Go courses. And I was looking for a name that was easy to remember. And it should also... Yeah, Applied Go sh shall... Um, it shall tell the people that the point here is just to to apply go to various problems. Uh, that's that's uh, the main topic of my of my original blog, appliedgo.net. Not to uh, circle around uh, language basics or something, but rather applying go to real real time real uh, real life um, problems, and to see how it goes. And that's how the name applied go. Um, how, how I found that, and uh, the yeah, I don't know if, if I if I thought about that initially, but uh, I, I I found it quite nice that it started with starts with an A, so it's it's yeah <laughs> uh, yeah up front in the alphabet. Yeah, it's, it, you can find it easily yeah. in the yellow pages. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thought. We never thought of that shy when we were coming up with a name. We could have called ourselves Ardvark with two something. with two A. To get that yeah. double A. So we yeah. can do, I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's hard to beat. We can play the Unicode game, just like, you know, it was recently <laughs> proposed with uh, uh, the, so, so we can do maybe um, Kappa Go and, and replace the C with uh, Kaf, which is a letter in Hebrew, which looks the same. <laughs> it's going to mess up everybody's, uh, you know, yeah, RSS yeah. list <laughs> audio. Yeah. How, how does it sort? Is it, does it sort before the Latin alphabet or, or after? I have to assume that it depends on the implementation and every development language has yeah. it differently. And even if you wrote Go, uh, you didn't test it with runes in the first version and it won't work because <laughs> Unicode is the bane of uh, all of our existences. <laughs> yeah, true. It's, Unicode is a, is a really under, underestimated topic. It's it's deeper than you yeah. know, than everyone thinks it is. Definitely. Last last time I, uh, there was a discussion about uh, why why doesn't Go have um, a reverse function in in the standard library? And mm -hmm. um, Axel Axel Wagner uh, then said, mm, "Unicode. It's it's you can't just reverse a Unicode string. There's so much to to uh, mm -hmm. consider. If is it is it uh, an, an emoticon? Is it uh, uh, Chinese characters?" Or, there are code points that um, yeah look different when you put them reverse in in some languages. So it's 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 definitely not easy. Yeah, I saw someone uh, just a site that had a bad implementation of uh, reverse. Uh, I don't remember where I saw it. I need to find the example. But when you inputted a few, um, you know how you have like a, a hand or a face or someone, and then you have it in various uh, skin tones. After uh, reversing it, all the skin tones mm -hmm. got reversed as well. Ouch. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Unicode is very difficult indeed. Um, Absolutely. I would like to ask, in your recent uh, newsletters, you've been talking about AI and Go. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I saw a few examples in your blog where you had the uh, AI write your blog post three different ways, and you had it experiment with Go specifically. Uh, Jonathan, I know you tried uh, GPT-3 and then GPT-4, and you were disappointed with 3, mm -hmm. and then you were quite happy with 4. Um, I'm wondering what's your experience using the all these emerging technologies, which you can't stop hearing about also in our podcast, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> with Go specifically. Yeah, I've seen Jonathan's uh, posts about, about GPT-3 and 4, and I... It's amazing how much better the technique got between three and four. As I said, I um, I used AI for writing a 
blog article, which means I generated a picture, I interviewed um, ChatGTP about some Go problem, and I used, I think it was GitHub Copilot or some tool to generate the code. So, and it all went quite well. <laughs> not not perfect, but it's, I, I could see that even back then, uh, these AI techniques are a huge uh, help in, in many ways. And if, if it's only uh, to, to generate limericks from the Go proverbs, which I did in, a, in another blog post, which was funny. I love, I love that one. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. I didn't, I didn't uh, change much in, in the limericks, uh, but I did regenerate a few of them until they came out fine, but I didn't uh, post-process them. So it's pure ChatGPT um, lyrics. And it's, yeah, that's the fun part here in, in it's with AI. But they keep getting better and better. And um, I think there's there are many ways to to use AI, like in Codeium or Visual uh, or GitHub Copilot, Pilot, Sourcegraph Cody, those two code helpers uh, that can shell out code that you normally would have to hack in. And they have the ability to take out the boring parts of coding. I think fortunately, fortunately, they are the LLMs of today are limited in a way that they can't really compete with the real brain work that developers do the creative brain work, the things that we have think beyond the, the usual paths. I think that so far it, it, it enhances, you know what I mean? But it's not, re, it's not a replacement. It just makes me go faster. That's what I feel. Definitely. I mean, the LLMs of today, they generate output based on probability and, and stochastics. and They really don't know what they do. They have no understanding of what they are returning to a prompt. Uh, it's just a calculation. So um, there is a, a, a limit in what they can do, even if they get better and better. I mean, look at the mid-journey, at the pictures that people are creating in mid-journey these days. It's, it's amazing. It's mind-blowing, but um, still, uh, it's, it's, yeah. Such as our podcast icon, of, of by the way. Probability. Uh, I just want to take a, a short aside and read my favorite one of the uh, Go, Applied Go uh, limerick. Oh, wow. A poetry reading. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe we can. Yeah, why not? Uh, Jonathan, maybe we can put some fancy music here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I generated music, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, one uh, proverb of Go uh, is that a little copying is better than a little dependency. And I just love the, the little limerick it, it wrote here. And it goes like this A little copying is not a crime, it can save you from dependencies' grime. Just be sure to give credit when credit is due and avoid any potential legal time. <laughs> That's yeah, straight fire. Shouldn't that be... It would be slightly better if it ended with avoid any potential legal issue. It would rhyme that way. I know the limericks don't have to rhyme, but... <laughs> well, yeah, as I said, I didn't, I didn't post-process the, the limericks. And I, yeah. That's what came out of GDP. What, but what I find, exactly, uh, exactly. What I find um, fascinating is that GDP, GPD... Yeah, went from copying versus dependency to to legal issues. Uh, right? <laughs> why? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's got a point here, definitely. Uh, yeah. Just to you know, cover our asses. Uh, we are not lawyers. This is not legal advice. <laughs> no <laughs> warranty. This podcast is provided <laughs> without warranty. And if you have any problems, go to Christoph, not to us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> just imagine every legal advice would would in future be uh, um, written in limericks. 
then maybe I'd read them. That would be nice. <laughs> maybe I could have my con. I should have my contract rewritten in Limerick. Or the form. terms of service. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Let's ask ChatGPT. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. I saw I saw that you posted the Limericks on Reddit, and I personally have had very mixed results on Reddit. Sometimes I get flamed. Sometimes people love what I post. Have you had a different experience? Uh, you get positive reception when you post on Reddit about Go. Well, indeed, Reddit, uh, our Golang is a large community. And of course, it's Reddit. It's open. Anyone can join and, and uh, raise their voice. And so it's not a surprising. I think that not everyone <laughs> agrees with uh, or likes your posts or your what you share. So, yeah, it's happened to me that I posted something and I thought it would be well received and um yeah i was waiting for upvotes to come and they didn't come so yeah i think that's ready that's life that's uh when like don't know how how many gophers are there on reddit right now Twenty thousand or more i think it was twenty thousand a few years ago uh so it's anything can happen on reddit exactly that's kind of my my thought too aside from that i'm curious what kind of reception you've gotten you've been doing this newsletter for quite a while um how I don't know if you wanted to divulge subscriber numbers, but I'm just curious. Like, what kind of reception have you gotten? Do you get um, positive feedback? No feedback? How does that go? Just in general, for the newsletter. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I maybe I don't talk about uh, subscriber numbers because they are embarrassing. It's embarrassingly low <laughs> because <laughs> I I didn't know how to make um, marketing for that. And yeah, for many years the, the newsletter was simply me collecting things on Reddit mm -hmm. and other forums and posting links to articles and projects. And it's only uh, been recently that I improved the newsletter and added my go tips of the week and quotes that I find on, don't know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Mastodon, wherever. I think the newsletter is now going into a good direction, um, being more of more value to the readers. And it's also then about time to, to maybe promote it more to the people to, and, and, and keep the direction of course mm -hmm. keep keep posting more of myself and not only the replicated content of others so we mm -hmm. definitely highly recommend that everyone who's listening to go subscribe to the newsletter it's it's great it's a great source of yeah. uh, uh go related stuff uh, if you're into concurrency maybe you can read the newsletter while you're listening to the podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah it's definitely a great source for I think you aggregate stuff really well and explain it very clearly. I like it a lot. And I do occasionally get feedback and people say, ah, oh, that's a good addition that it had to bring to the Go community. And I'm, ah, oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> I like that you include some original content. It's not just curating others. I'm thinking in particular of a, a post, I think it came out last week, called Why Ghost Declaration Syntax Backwards. And you talk about C's, the C-style declaration, and this sort of spiral that was described back in 1994, I think, uh, on Usenet, uh, how you kind of, to, to understand a type definition in C, you have to kind of start in the middle and work your way out to understand what's going on. And Go made the intentional choice that your declarations are from left to right order, the natural reading order if you read English. I suppose that's not true for Hebrew readers. But I had never realized that, uh, and I thought that was, it's kind of obvious in retrospect, but I'd never realized that before. So I thought this was a really interesting 
article. Uh, it's it's a short article, but it just kind of opened my eyes. I really appreciate the original content that you add as well. Uh, I find it to be insightful and, and educational. Yeah, and it's it's also fun to write. Uh, I think if I come across topics like this, it it was interesting to to yeah. I looked up what where spirals occur and see it in seashells, in galaxies, in 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 the stone of in, in at Newgrange. Uh, and even in sea style, uh, the sea style declarations. Um, it's interesting because if you think about it, uh, it starts all with a dis- deciding to use the syntax int n and not var n int. So it's a small decision in uh, the sequence of type versus uh, actual variable uh, name, and uh, this has consequences and this led to this spiral rule of 1994 mm-hmm. i think that's it's people really forget that the programming is a collaborative activity and no one wants to be even if you have the good, correct sequence uh, like in go well correct in quotation marks but i think it's the correct order um if your variable name sucks then <laughs> you end up with people like hey <laughs> yo john what is uh, F-T-U-O-L-K-P-Q-1-2-3? Yeah. What, what is that variable? You're like, oh, of course, it's the number of days. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> when I was reading this article, I was trying to think of a counterexample. And I, I did think of one, but it's not a valid <laughs> one. <laughs> and that is that we say things like byte slice, although we write slice of bytes. So when it's written... It follows the rule, right? You know, you have the brackets and then byte. But we tend to say, at least I tend to say, byte slice when I see that. And mentally I'm thinking byte slice. But, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't violate the rule. It's just that at least my brain processes but, things just differently. Just to put the Hebrew spin on it, in Hebrew it's uh, the other way around. So at least for me it works great. It's okay. uh, a, a slice of, <laughs> right. uh, you know, byte. I mean, slice of bytes works too, but it's longer. So I'm trying to save save spoken characters. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you have the liberty to say it both ways, and I, maybe that's also the yeah. reason why the C designers came up with int x instead of x int, um, mm-hmm. because it's it's just uh, the natural language isn't isn't precise and isn't uh, yeah only one way to to say something. So it's okay. Right. Yeah, but uh, talking about about language and, and clarity uh, and syntax, uh, this is one of the uh, aspects of Go that caught me first when I came across Go. I, I remember it was back in 2011. Uh, the German uh, IT magazine CT brought an article about Go. And I remember I was immediately hooked. I, I saw a small code sample and the syntax was so clear. The absence of semicolons, yes. <laughs> and uh, then I got curious and read the full article, and yeah, I was amazed because the language, yeah, was so simple. They omitted almost everything that C plus plus and Java and and other languages of, of the mainstream of the time uh, accumulated. Um, and really, C plus plus and Java, they started simple. I remember when when C++ was invented, it was quite simple. When Java came out, it was quite simple. And they evolved into languages of a really Baroque style. <laughs> and uh, it's ornaments everywhere. And uh, yeah. Calling it Baroque uh, style and not monstrosities. I also imagine medieval, but more like Dracula Castle monstrosities. Every door you open, it's cobwebs and coffins, and every coffin you open, there more monsters in it. It's very cherishable of you to call it Baroque. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, 
uh, maybe a euphemistic way to call it a monstrosity, <laughs> but it's Baroque. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the question is uh, at, at one point adding more features to a language, it doesn't pay out anymore. It's, it's, there's a point of diminishing returns, right? And, um, I love, I love the approach of go first block any idea <laughs> to, to expand and extend the language and to, to discuss this very extensively because before, um, agreeing to to add something new um if you if you follow the yeah evolution of generics in go it was really a long and and a complicated way but it was it was right it was right to do it that way there were many proposals yeah. recently that uh jonathan and i looked at might have had merit but also made the the standard library or the language or just the options that you have as a as a developer more complex added more ornaments uh if you would say it uh, and they were blocked and we, and they were declined. Uh, we were at least uh, happy to see that they were declined. And even though, uh, Jonathan is, uh, can be accused of adding ornaments to the language when he made the regex, uh, <laughs> text, uh, JSON parsable or wh whatever that proposal was. Yeah, Would you say yeah. your contribution oh, yeah. improved the language or, or just added an ornament, Jonathan? Uh, well, it, well, it didn't change the language, but the standard library, if we consider that. I think it improved it. I mean, it, it didn't add any new semantics. Uh, it, it didn't add, yeah, it, it just uh, made an existing type support an existing capability. So well, I we'll think keep it fair. around for now. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, it hasn't been released yet. It's not too late to revert it. If you, if you have a strong opinion, you could go get it reverted before uh, 121 uh, was released. It's going to end up that we're going to fork to go to just because of your uh, text marshalling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Christoph, I want to ask you, other than offering the community, you know, the newsletter and everything that you, you put out, you also have courses, right? Yes. Uh, there are two courses. One is a rather big one, a large one uh, about all the Go basics. It's a fundamental course uh, for developers who want to start Go and you know, don't have any prior knowledge of Go. You can start from zero and learn everything. So you get quite a decent uh, fundamental to start from. And the other one is a, a concurrency a deep dive course, which is focused on concurrency, of course, uh, <laughs> as the name says. It's an outtake of the main course and I extended it with a few more lectures. It's still a work in progress. Um, just recently, I recorded some more audio for a few lectures that are text only at the moment. Yeah, and then those are the two courses I'm I've uh, running, and they are aimed towards total beginners or perhaps people who, you know, they're currently working in Java and looking for salvation. I'm focusing <laughs> on developers. I, I don't teach IT <laughs> from the very beginning. I don't uh, explain what a shell is and what CD or LS mm -hmm. is. So you have to know something about working with a computer and, and you have to know a programming language. I don't explain um, so go why there are if statements. So go beginners, not uh, computer beginners. Exactly. Cool. That seems to be a big market. I mean, I, th I think most people learn Go after speaking, after speaking, after writing another language. Uh, I've... I'm sure there are some who learn Go as a first language, but it does seem like an exception. Yeah, that's a good question. Is, is Go good as a first language? Um, I had one student uh, who took a CS50 online course, and after that he took my Go course, and he said that was an ideal combination to get started in the IT world. Um, but you have to do something before learning Go, I think. You have to take something like a CS50 course. I'm not sure if Go is 
really easy compared to C++ or Java, but um, it has some rough edges and it, it's all, it's also focusing on being easy to the compiler. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you, you see in the language, there's, there are many things that, yeah, where the, <laughs> the hardware shines through, if I can uh, name it this way, like slices being built underlying arrays. Um, I think that's a concept which where the newcomer says, oh, why should I bother with that? Uh, I want just want to build a slice or an array and a dynamic array. Why do I have to think about underlying arrays and addresses and pointers and things like that? So I think I wouldn't recommend Go as a very first language, but um, it's possible. We had that discussion yeah. in our yeah. Slack channel in the past, and I think we sort of settled on. There was one person who was like, Go is the perfect language and people should learn it first just to avoid the mistakes of uh, other languages. But most people tended to agree with you, Christoph, and say that uh, it's probably better as a second language. You should either start with Python because it's a language built for learning how to program and it's not really a systems language and it's very easy to get started and get motivated or start with uh, C to make sure you have all the fundamentals or C++ or some low-level language uh, to make sure you have all the fundamentals, you understand how memory works, you understand the concept of a pointer, and either coming up to go from C or coming down to C from Python, or let's say Java, which is still taught a lot in universities, is probably a better path into Go than just starting with Go straight up. Because it's sort of an uncomfortable middle where it's a high-level language, but you can also play around with pointers. Definitely, yeah. And and I think I think it's it's a... It's what, what most people do. They learn something else first, like Python, and then turn to Go because Go is faster, for example, or, or for other reasons. But what you said initially, uh, Shay, um, it's, yeah, learning another language is perhaps uh, counterproductive because you have to then to unlearn some of the uh, anti-patterns that, that block you from being productive in programming. But you can't know their anti-patterns until you learn them in another language. So in the long term, it's definitely worth it. Knowledge true is enough, good, yeah. even of uh, <laughs> shitty languages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true enough. <laughs> um, so we're coming up to a close here. Is there anything else we should mention other than your newsletter and your courses that people should know about uh, if they want to reach you, if they want to hire you, if they want to talk to you? Well, yeah, no, uh the newsletter and the courses is pretty much anything that I publish around Go. My day job is, as I said, as a tech writer. Um, but if you have something to write about Go, I'm here. All right. And obviously, all your contact information will be in the show notes to anybody who's yeah. listening. Go follow the links. Go uh, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, if you're yeah, a Go people... beginner, maybe consider purchasing one of the courses. Yeah, of course. People can find me out on applyedgo.net or applyedgo.com. And I think that's uh, easy to find. Good. So shall we do the, the stumper questions? <laughs> it's time. <laughs> All right. First, you've been told that you must remove a feature from Go. What would you remove? Okay. <laughs> That's a difficult question. If I had to remove a feature from Go, um, a discussion that came up recently that I've followed is... Um, I think that comes up frequently is about pointers and, and especially nil values because a nil pointer always causes a crash if not handled correctly. Mm -hmm. Why not think about removing nil values from the language? Like 
not removing, but replacing them by something else like uh, option types or something. And that's also another thing that's this that's me discussed frequently. Why doesn't Go have uh, option types? Maybe that's something to think about. Why not removing I, the, the nil ability of, of types? This question is slowly becoming a, an alternative proposal process. <laughs> I think this is the third interview <laughs> we've had who wants uh, some X and then match it on, uh, on the result instead of if or it's mm-hmm. different from nil. Yeah. Maybe we can open a, a, a couple yeah. of those sponsored uh, issue trackers. <laughs> <laughs> And on the flip side of that question, which uh, 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 should be a lot easier, uh, if you were to look at other languages and the landscape and all the everything that the community has to offer that's not in Go, what would you introduce into the language? Hmm, yeah, well, uh, Go is the language that is famous for being stable and and uh, famous for not growing all the time and becoming more complex and and uh, more uh, difficult to learn. So I wouldn't want to add anything, but from what I just said, when I want, when I would want to remove nil values and pointers, then the obvious answer is uh, I would want to add option types. So like some open parentheses X, and then you can do a um, pattern matching on it. Yeah, like that. And I think that's a addition that's not too large and not too um, obstructive to language. This being said. I'm happy without it. Let's let's keep yeah. Go stable and simple. I like the answer. Yeah, yeah. Good answer. We might need to seriously consider option types. I've found myself uh, missing them a few times as well. And in, in my last job, I jumped. I had a programming task where I had to jump between Scala and, and Go. Uh, and obviously, Go was a lot better. It was a lot more fun to program in Go. It was a lot more productive than trying to write the world's Worst uh, functional one-liner, uh, but you know the option types in Scala they were nice. Where you have like some and you can pattern match. That, that was that was nice. I, I can definitely see the appeal. The other way around was a lot worse though. You know I, when I when I started when I went back to Go I, I felt so good, and then when I had to go <laughs> back to Scala I felt so bad. <laughs> well, and I think at these these times we can we can, we can really say um, if anyone wants to add something to go or remove something from go i think this will become the the task of ai you uh, can mm. teach ai to turn your thoughts into go code <laughs> so if you talk in terms of uh, option types the ai will turn this into option type less go code wow that's super sure. easy win. sure so why not yeah, keep the keep the bare language simple and and have an abstraction above it where you talk to it in natural language. Or we could call it WebAssembly. <laughs> <laughs> We're just rediscovering the same thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thanks, Christoph, for coming on. I really appreciate. Thank you, uh, Getting to pick your brain a little bit. It was great to be here. Great. Wonderful. Well, we'll see you all next time. Yeah, see you. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> Now that Christoph's out of the call, we can, you know, talk about him. He's not here. What a nice guy, am I right? Yeah, he, it was a pleasure to talk with him. Uh, and, you know, I chatted with him a couple of times uh, just by text on, on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a great guy. Uh, I love his newsletter. Um, I read it every week. Yeah, be sure to subscribe to Applied Go newsletter if you found uh, Christoph's uh, views on things interesting. And yeah, that's what we have for you all this week. Thanks a lot for listening. Tune in next week. Until then. Bye. Boom, 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 boom.